From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Genesis 32.4 Vayishlach New Names In this week's portion of the Torah, Yaakov is given a new name. When Hashem, through an angel, gave Yaakov his new name, he said, No longer will it be said that your name is Yaakov, but Israel, for you have striven with the divine and with man and have overcome. When Avram received his new name, Hashem said, Your name shall no longer be called Avram, but your name shall be Avraham. And as for Sarah, your wife, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah is her name. From the time they were given their new names, Avram and Sarah are never again called by their old names. Even when we refer to times when they had their old names, still we call them by their new names. However, even after Yaakov received his new name, the Torah does not always call him Israel. In fact, after he received the new name, Israel is still called Yaakov more often than Israel. Why is this? A name is not merely a label. It is an expression of that person's nature. Our sages say that when parents name their children, they receive a tiny portion of prophecy. This means that the name they choose for their child is spiritually fitting for that child, and that the qualities that that name signifies will be manifested in that child as he or she grows up. The name actually describes the person. When we look at Avram and Sarah, we see that Hashem wanted to change their portion. He blessed Avraham, saying, You shall be a father of a multitude of nations. And he gave him the name Avraham, which means father of a multitude. He changed Sarah's name to mean princess to all the nations of the world. This blessing is always applicable to Avram and Sarah because it is their new nature. Yaakov's blessing, to be called Israel, was to be applied to him only when he was acting as Israel. He is called Israel when he strives with the divine and with man and overcomes. When the Torah calls him Yaakov, it is addressing him as the simple man he is, still striving to overcome all of his many trials and tribulations. When he does overcome those challenges and is spiritually successful, then he is called Israel. When you read the names Yaakov or Israel in the Torah, try to see how he is acting in that particular role at that time. As his name changes from line to line, look to see what action or thought reflects the characteristics of that name. Now what does this have to do with us? Know that when we are struggling with our burdens, we are acting like, and therefore being, Yaakov. And when we overcome those tribulations, we are acting like, and therefore being, Israel. Recognizing which role we are acting as can help us to draw upon all of the aspects of Yaakov and Israel. When we see that we are wrestling with an evil inclination, remembering that we are being Yaakov can strengthen us. It will encourage us to call on all of Yaakov's strengths. And when we see that we have overcome and are being Israel, we will be encouraged to continue steering our lives in that winning direction. He's got it all.
In this week's portion of the Torah, Yaakov returned to the land of Israel after his 34 years of absence from his family. His evil brother Asaph came out to meet him with 400 men. Hearing this, Yaakov became frightened. He tried to placate Asaph. He sent lavish gifts. He prayed, and he prepared for the worst. Their meeting seemed friendly, and when Asaph asked Yaakov why he sent him all those gifts, Yaakov explained that he sent them to gain favor in Asaph's eyes. Asaph objected, saying, I have plenty. And Yaakov begged him to take the gifts because, as Yaakov said, he has all. Herein lie both the deepest mystery in the entire creation and also one of the biggest disagreements among Torah scholars. The argument centers on the scholar's different understanding of God and his creation. At the literal perspective, Yaakov's statement does not make sense. How could Yaakov have all when Esau already has plenty? Was Yaakov really saying that Esau's plenty was included in Yaakov's awe? Looking in depth at the statements, Esau, whose house was filled with idolatry, was saying that his plenty meant not only plenty of material possessions, but also plenty of gods. Although Yaakov answered that he had more than plenty, he had all. If we understand Yaakov to be addressing Esau's many gods, then Yaakov should have answered that he has one. But no, the answer went much deeper. He said that he had all. The simple argument between Yaakov's all and Esau's plenty is of little interest to us since it is obvious that idolatry's many are false. What is of interest to us is whether Yaakov's all refers to God, and if so, whether he was really saying that God is literally all. If indeed he was saying that God is all, then how do we understand everything we see around us? This is the heart of the long-standing argument between those who say God is all truly means that there is absolutely nothing other than God, and those who say God is all truly means that there is nothing important other than God. One side says he is even the creation, while the other side says there is a creator and a creation, and the creator is not the creation, and the creation is not the creator. Who is right? The argument can be traced back to the teachings of Tsimsum, constriction. This metaphor teaches that before the very beginning of creation, God was so fully everywhere that there was no room for him to put anything. At this stage, all sides agree that there was nothing at all other than God. Then God, so-called, contracted himself in order to leave an empty place. And it was there, in that empty space, that he placed creation. So according to the metaphor, he, to some degree, held himself back from that space. Those who believe that he literally contracted himself, and thus left the place void of himself, are taking the teaching of Simpson literally. Conversely, those who say that God does not literally remove himself from anywhere at any time do not take the teaching of Simpson literally. They say that he merely hides himself and clothes himself within the creation, and in fact, there is not now, nor ever has been, anything other than God. These are the two sides, literal Simpson and figurative Simpson.
One side tries to bring a proof saying that the creation is limited and God is not limited, so obviously he cannot be the creation. The other side answers that since God is unlimited, he cannot be excluded from being anything, including the limited creation. One side says that God is all-powerful, while the power found in the creation is not all-powerful. The other side answers that since God is all-powerful, the earthly power must also be him doing all those things, or else he would not really be all-powerful. Back and forth, each side seemingly gives a good objection to the other's argument. Who is right? Use infinite and finite as an example. By definition, the infinite and finite seem to be mutually exclusive, so they cannot exist at the same time. After all, if the infinite is really infinite, where are you going to put the finite? The answer is, imagine the infinite all around and through you without end. Then simply draw a circle anywhere. Can you do this? Sure. Now, is the infinite still infinite? Of course it is. By drawing lines in the infinite, you have not limited it at all. If anything, by drawing the circle, you have added a line to it. Is the area within the circle finite? Yes. So we have the finite existing within the infinite. And there is no contradiction. Now, when you touch inside the circle, are you touching the finite? Yes. Are you also touching the infinite at the same time and place? Yes, because the infinite is everywhere. Therein lies our answer. The one God is everywhere at every moment, and still there is a limited creation. God is all, including you and me. But the finite cannot claim to be the infinite, although it really is, because the infinite is also all the other finites, while this particular finite is not any other finite. So Yaakov was not simply saying that he had all that he needed, nor that God is one, and therefore greater than the multiple gods, but Yaakov's God is so great that he is all there is. This also explains Yaakov's very strange comment to Esau, his brother, who represents evil. I see your face as the face of God. God is all, including even the evil inclination. There is one dot com.